0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. With the click of a button, we're live. Holy cow. Wait till I tell you who we're chatting with today. Mm He is many things and I have paragraphs in this introduction, but let me just hit the highlights. He is a leading, I would say prolific, best-selling author of all things marketing, sales and growth. Uh, He's written many of the go-to books that I've just been reading throughout my marketing career and he's got a new one coming out and we're gonna get the inside scoop on it. Keynote speaker on business growth, keynote speaker, keynote speaker, (laughs) best-selling author, all-around badass, David Meerman Scott. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great, Casey. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for swinging by. I know you're busy. I know you've got many, many plans.
1: I do, but, but hey, there's nothing I would rather be doing at this precise moment in history than talking with you.
0: <laughs> awesome! Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. So, you know this this show is going to be all about turning fans into customers, customers into fans, understanding the insights that you've distilled down to this new book. And we start every show the same way. Let me grab this. It's, I'm going to pass it over to you. It's heavy. Hmm. So here we go. This is Thor's hammer. Go ahead and oh take God. that. Look at and, that. Thing. Holy crap. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, oh, you got it? Okay. Enormous
1: it's hammer. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. And uh, even has a name. It's so big. Uh, take <laughs> that hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth or just misconception out there, maybe even ties into the book.
1: You know, the thing that I see again and again and again and again and again is that people are talking about their products and services, but nobody gives a rat's ass about your product or service. What they care about are themselves. What they care about are solving problems. What they care about are relationships with other people. um, And they don't simply care about products or services. Yes, your product or service can do something that's helpful, but the best way to market is to not talk about products and services.
0: Right. So don't do what most people do, which is check out my new website, buy my new spangled dangled thing. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, actually check out my new website is fine. If it has valuable information on it, if it's providing uh, 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 ways that people can connect with you, but check out the product on my website is not. Right, right. So people, why? how did we fall into this trap? Why are we doing this? I think it's because um, we've all grown up with advertising all over the place, right? I mean, you cannot escape it. Uh, it's everywhere, and it's been everywhere since the day we were born. You know, television, radio, magazine, newspaper, billboards, direct mail. I mean, it's everywhere, and the vast majority of advertising is about products and services. Right. In the B two B world, in the B two B world, that's true. In uh, you know, in, in, in all worlds, that's true. So um, I think I think that we naturally default. Marketers naturally default to what they see all over the place, which is I need to, I need to hype my product. I need to talk about what I'm, what I'm offering here. I need to convince people that my offering is worth spending money on. Um, but that approach just isn't as effective as lots of other approaches that don't have to focus on the product or service itself.
0: Right, I think, I think we kind of take for granted that if we see a lot of people doing it, well, that must be good. Yeah. I hear a lot of bad radio ads, so I, I, they just keep happening. And you know and I, I guess when we, we grew up in companies, we saw good or bad leadership, and then it's, and that's how we end up acting when we have our own companies, or good and bad parents. That's how we end, it's like we just kind of stay in the, the pattern here.
1: I think that's probably right. And I think that, um, you know, not all, but many advertising agencies are also to blame because Mm -hmm. it's easy for them to create advertisements around products or services because the client likes it. You know, if you talk to the CEO and then you say, oh yeah, yeah, we love what you're doing. Your products are awesome. We can't wait to do TV commercials about your wonderful products. And the CEO is flattered and say, cool, let's do it. Here's a million dollars. Um, and th- that may not be the most effective. Um, it may not be the best approach, but it wins the business. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think uh, there are definitely, um, exceptions, but I think the majority of advertising agencies are part of the problem. Um, laziness is part of the problem because it's a sure. lot e- It's a lot easier to do your marketing around your product or service than it is to do your marketing around the problems that people have or your marketing about creating a genuine human connection.
0: Right, right. So what? Ha- so let's say a marketer is listening to this show. At least one is, I know for sure. And right. uh, uh, th- and they catch themselves you know, almost mid-step with like, oh, no, I'm doing exactly what Casey and David were talking about. What do they do? What should they shift? Where do they go? Well, first of all, I'd
1: like to say that if it's working, Don't shift. Okay. Um, You know, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that it never works to talk about your product or service. However, I've I've talked about this with quite literally thousands of marketers over the years, Mm -hmm. Um, either at events that I speak at, or just you know cocktail parties, or um, in doing the research for the eleven books I've written. Um, or doing the research for the thousands of blog posts I've written. Um, I've talked with lots and lots and lots of people about how they do their marketing. And the vast majority of people are not successful with that approach. But if it's working for you, fine. I think that the challenge is is overcoming fear. Mm -hmm. And I think in my mind, that's one of the biggest challenges because a lot of the – we always do it this way thing is a fear-based approach. It's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's comfortable. It's like, I don't want to take time to learn something new. I am too busy. I'm trying to run a company or I'm trying to run an entire marketing department. I can't, I can't take the time to understand, um, how to do something differently. So, so I think overcoming inertia, overcoming fear is a really important aspect, and um, being open to the fact that our world is changing. You know, And I think back, I, I've been a marketer for 30 years. Um, I um, uh, was a vice president of marketing of several different technology companies prior to starting my own business. Um, uh, I worked both in Asia and in North America. Uh, I was when I, when I was a, a marketer at companies. It was always in B two B technology, um, you know, pretty pretty expensive um, technology uh, services. Um, and and then for the last seventeen years, I've been. Doing my own thing, writing, speaking, and so on. Um, and I think I look. I think back to the way that I did marketing in the old days, and it was product based. Um, you know, I, I it was a different world prior to the web, because prior to the ability to create content on the web, and prior to the ability to engage people in um, new forms of 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 electronic communications um you had to focus on product i mean you didn't have to but you know it it was more accepted to focus on product because if you didn't talk up your product there was no way that people could find out about it Mm -hmm. however however in today's world um there are so many ways that they that that potential customers can learn about what you're doing and they do independent research they're already out there looking and if you're only focused on product, then that's not going to be as effective. Um, so, you know, anybody who's been around for a while will say, well, yeah, this is how it's always been done. Well, maybe it's always been done that way, um, it, you know, f- for the first 20 years of your 30 year career, but not in the last 10. There's lots right. of different ways. I mean, as you and I are talking right now, we're, we're talking over Zoom, um, which is... The Jetsons. It's, <laughs> it's right. It's fantastic. Imagine thir- 30 years ago when I first started in the business world as a marketer, if you had told me that we're going to have the ability on a little tiny device the size of a, plane, a deck of playing cards sitting in your pocket, to have a video conference with someone or to broadcast a video as just like a television station to broadcast a video yep. to potentially millions of people using a, a, a playing card deck sized device sitting <laughs> in your pocket that, sure. costs, that costs a few hundred dollars. I would say you're insane. What are you smoking? But that's what we've got and so um so things have really changed we're in we're 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 living the jetsons
0: yeah i used to always say that i hate change like i hate it in my pocket i hate experiencing it but you brought up the good side of change which is i mean wow you don't have to go outside to find out what the weather is you just pull it up on your phone how how do we stay you know relevant how do we stay hip how do we stay at the the better part of that curve and you know adapt and stay above all the noise that's happening
1: you know i think a lot of it is is being curious a lot of it is recognizing that all job functions certainly marketing but all job functions are changing all all the way all different ways to communicate are changing and i know in my case um i've um uh i'm you know i'm in my 50s i'm a white guy and I've focused a lot on trying to be as um, understanding of the millennial generation and now even Generation Z as I possibly can. Um, I, I find that it's incredibly important to know how, does our, how do our younger customers make purchase decisions? Right. How do our younger customers think about communications? How do our younger customers think about um, the way that they do business? And is that different than the ways that, you know, Gen X or baby boomers are thinking about it? And I think that if you, if you only are focused on your own generation, no matter who you are, if you're a millennial marketer and you're only focused on your own generation, you're missing people who are a bit older. If you're an older marketer and you're only focused on your generation, you're missing perhaps the millennial generation. And I think, um, you know, we'll talk about it soon, I know. Um, but in the new book I wrote, my co-author is my 26-year-old daughter. Really? Yeah. And we, we started doing the research five years ago. She was 21. Oh, wow. And so what was really important to me to write this new book, which is called Fanocracy: turning, customers, turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans. What was important to me was to make sure I had a voice of I had the voice of a new generation. To make sure I had the voice of a woman. To make sure I had the voice of someone who's conscious of LGBTQ plus um, society. Right. Um, my daughter is mixed race. To have the perspective of somebody from a different race. To have the perspective. Uh, She's um, a neuroscientist in in her last year of medical school now to have the perspective of a scientist. Uh, And so, I mean, luckily, she has all of those different things tied up in one package. One person, yeah. Yeah. And and so she's a fabulous co-author. And she's a better writer than me, too. So she's a fabulous co-author. But I think that that's one of the challenges that we all have is to remain relevant and I know in my case I've always lived in fear of being the old gray-haired um person who everyone says, Oh, you know, he he had some great ideas a few decades ago, but you know he's right. not any I, I, that I live in fear and I mm-hmm. I am always, always, always keeping my eyes and ears open for what's going on, what's new, what's interesting. And I think that's I think that we're all um we all need to do that if we want to remain relevant as marketers.
0: Yeah. I, I love that the concept of getting multiple perspectives. And I think even I've had been guilty of this, where you have like a judgment of the other generation, whether it's newer, older, oh, they, they don't know how to use computers or they use Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, Ugh, I don't like them. But to your point, you need to be a little more open, especially in the marketing world to understand, well, they may have a different persona. They may buy differently. They most likely do buy differently. So right, right. You, you could be stuck in your little track here or you could kind of be more open and accepting and get people on the team who can kind of fill in that gap.
1: I think that's exactly right. And that doesn't mean that you personally have to use Snapchat. You, <laughs> do you have but, it? Do you have Snapchat? You have you do? tried it? Um, I did. I, 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 <laughs> I do. I don't use it. I don't use it regularly. I, I did a couple. of I, I got on just to see how it works. And yeah, whatnot. me too. You know, I got and, rid of it. <laughs> and, and, you know, TikTok is another example an sure. incredibly popular social network. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, post every single day on TikTok if you're 60 years old, but it does mean as a marketer, that you ought to be aware of what else is out there and not just simply dismiss it. Right,
0: right. Makes sense. So uh, this is a perfect transition as well. Let's talk about this book. You've been, you've been working on it with your daughter for five years. A long time. All the wisdom years. that goes, I mean, all the younger generation can at least look to you and say, wow, you've been places, decades yeah. of marketing. What kind of wisdom can we get from you? What, what, what was the challenge you wanted to address in this book?
1: So um, as you know, I've written, eleven. this is my 11th book. Um, yeah. And I'm most famous for a book called The New Rules of Marketing and PR that originally came mm-hmm. Came out in 2007. Um, that book was a tremendous success. Still is a tremendous success. It's um, was six months on the Business Week bestseller list. It's wow. it sold 400,000 copies in English. It's in 29 other languages. Um, but I was I was thinking about marketing, and I was thinking about the business world, and I was thinking about how companies grow business. I was thinking to myself that there are so many organizations that have doubled down on this online channel. Um, They're focused on um, in many ways abusing the ideas that I talked about initially back way back in 2007. Um, And so some of the things that I see organizations doing that just, you know, it kind of gets me (laughs) upset is, you know, if you buy something from them, all of a sudden they're sending you three or five emails a day. Yeah. Or um, if you connect with somebody on LinkedIn, all of a sudden that person turns around and immediately tries to sell you something. Yeah. Or if you get into the social networks, the social networks themselves, especially Facebook, are optimized not around communication anymore, but about around profit.
0: Right.
1: Um, As well, the social networks are optimized around polarization. Right. They're, they're going to show you only a certain subset based on what they think you want to see. Um, and if you happen to, to click a few things, for example, in the political world, um, they, decide, right. yeah. they decide exactly who you are. And all of a sudden you're only seeing things from that side of the political spectrum. Um, and sometimes when you're communicating with an organization, you may even just be communicating with a robot. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's digital chaos going on out there. I think a lot of organizations aren't focused on um, on you know the, a true human connection. So I, I think the pendulum has swung too far in this direction of superficial online communications at a time because the world is so polarized, especially in the online world, you know, we're, in the online world and, and, and anytime you, you look at television news, people are just being mean and nasty to one another. Right. So I think we have a longing for a true human connection. I think I think there's an opportunity for marketers to, focus on how they can create a genuine human connection. And that's what I began to explore about five years ago. And I was driving in the car with Reiko, my daughter, and we were i totally geeking out about what we're fans of. So I'm a massive fan of live music. I've been to 780 live concerts in my life, starting wow. when I was age 15, including 75 Grateful Dead concerts. Wow. So yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm a massive live music geek. I'm a massive Grateful Dead geek. My daughter, Reiko, massive Harry Potter fan. She's- nice. I, She's read every book multiple times, seen every movie multiple times, gone to the wizarding world of Harry Potter twice, been to the UK to go to the studio tour, and she wrote a 90,000-word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series as a novel, put it on a (laughs) a fan fiction site. Thousands of people have downloaded it and hundreds of people have commented on it. So we recognized that we're incredible fans of My Case Live Music, Her Case Harry Potter, And we thought to ourselves at the same time that the world is so polarized and cold we have this amazing group of people we share this these fandoms with there's something there so let's explore the idea of fandom let's explore the idea of how and why people become fans that's what we've been doing for the past five years and our thesis idea was that any organization not just entertainment, so entertainment meaning Harry Potter in the form of books or movies and and um, the Grateful Dead and other live music, um, you know, also entertainment. Can any organization build fans? Um, the answer is absolutely yes. We've found um, consumer product companies, commodity businesses, B2B businesses, enterprise software, Government agencies, individual solopreneurs, doctors, dentists, lawyers—we found examples in every category of organizations that have built fans. And so, therefore, we then wanted to explore how does one do that. So, in our book, Fanocracy, there's a we have a prescription with tons of examples um, in the book of how organizations can actually grow fans.
0: Wow. I mean, sign me up. How how do you build fans? Maybe like a what 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 like maybe one or two points and then we'll save the rest for, you know, the book. Sure. So well, first of all, um, um, and I've got I'll share some
1: examples in a second and, yeah. and some specific ideas, but first of all, we were really interested to find this, uh, I, this idea that any organization can build fans. And there's two that I wanted to talk about that are really interesting to me to illustrate that point. The first one is there's a government agency, a government agency with 50 million fans. This government agency, you can see people wearing their logo in the form of T-shirts, mm. on ball caps, stickers on computers or, or their bumper stickers. Um, And all over the world, two uh, three weeks ago, I was in the Seychelles, a group of islands on the eastern coast of Africa, just above Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. And I was walking down a street um, in this island and there is somebody with a NASA t-shirt. Nice. It's a government agency with tens of millions of fans. Right. You so
0: say it's not the DMV. That's now, for sure. It's not, it's
1: not <laughs> the DMV. Um, you know, the IRS. Right. Um, so, so the other example I love to, to talk about is um, an auto insurance company. <laughs> so everybody on the planet hates auto insurance. It's a sure. terrible thing to spend money on. I mean, what an awful thing to spend money on. Number one, it's no fun to buy. Number two... If The last thing you want is to actually have to use the product because it means you've crashed your car, right? Right. It's terrible. And I was speaking to the CEO of an insurance company. His name is McKeel Haggerty. And he says to me, David, I can't do what everyone else does. I cannot compete on price. I cannot compete by spending the most money on television commercials. I've got a, a you know a competitor who who spends tens of millions of dollars on putting their lizard or gecko lizard or yeah all right <laughs> I can't compete with that. Um, so he specifically went out to build fans, and his business is called Haggerty Insurance. This is McKeel Haggerty, um, and he specializes in classic car auto insurance, and so. Um, he has built a really, really strong business. He's the number one classic car auto insurance company in the world. So they go to over a hundred classic car events around North America every year. Um, and they meet with people. They meet with um, existing and potential customers. They meet with the people at these classic car events. They provide educational seminars. They have valuation reports. How much is your classic car worth? um, With graphs of how much it's worth, uh, the price has changed over time. They have almost a million subscribers of their YouTube channel. A YouTube channel with a million subscribers of an- Auto Big insurance deal. company. Wow. <laughs> and they have 650,000 members of their driver's club. Take that, Geico. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, so this is an example of a product everyone hates, and they've got hundreds of thousands of fans. They're going to grow by 200,000 customers this year. Jeez. Um, and I'm a customer. I have a 1973 Land Rover that's been insured by Haggerty since 19. Um, 95, I think, I can't remember, I think around there, but they're I love them, you know, and it, when they send me my bill, I'm happy to pay it because, uh, because I'm a fan. Why? <laughs> because of what, what
0: they've been doing for what, me. What have they done? What, how have they They
1: send me their magazine every quarter. Oh, I like okay. their YouTube channel. Um, I love that I can find out how much my car or other cars I might want to buy are worth. If I go to a classic car show, they're on site. I can talk to them. You know, It's all those things.
0: Yeah, I bet there's a, that moment too when you, go, when you see them on site. You're like, you're part of the team. You're, yeah, you're, right. You're, you're one of them. And they, they call people
1: who are their customers, their members members you're a member of Haggerty. it's a a very interesting approach and once you're a member you get benefits like you get um this quarterly magazine and uh, actually bi-monthly magazine and whatnot so they're doing it they're doing a fabulous
0: job wow wow so 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 if those guys can can create fans then everyone can create well that's
1: the idea if a government agency can have tens of millions of fans and an auto insurance company can have nearly a million fans then we can all do this
0: And it fuels crazy growth. So, sign us all up. Where do we start? What's like the very step? So we
1: we have um, a bunch of different ideas in the in the book Fanocracy that we outline for how people can grow fans. And um, one that I find particularly interesting um, comes from neuroscience. And my, as I mentioned earlier, my daughter did a. Um, a degree in neuroscience at Columbia University for her undergraduate. Right and now, is finishing up medical school, and so we decided we wanted to speak with some neuroscientists to understand what's going on in our brain when we become, when we become a fan of something. <laughs> so that's exactly what we did, and it turns out that neuroscience tells us that what's really going on is that you're having a very powerful connection to like-minded people. You're part of a tribe Mm -hmm. and that's hardwired in our brain. That's non-negotiable. That's a survival technique. It's a survival technique that you become a part of a tribe of people and you know and trust those people. You speak the same language. You're a part of a group. Um, So, If I go to a classic car show, I'm with people that I know and trust and we speak the same lingo. If I go to a Grateful Dead concert, the same thing is true. And so um, what's happening in our brains is that our ancient DNA is telling us these people are friends. Mm -hmm. And it turns out neuroscience says that the closer you get to someone, the the more powerful the shared emotion. So when you're close to people who you trust because they're the part of the same tribe, that goes back um, to the ancient brain's survival technique. Mm. And there's another, there's a neuroscientist named Edward T. Hall who looked at levels of proximity and he identified four. The most important ones for the idea of fandom are public space, which is further than 20 feet away, roughly, and public space our we don 't track the people um, carefully who are in our public space we know they 're there, but we don 't track them um, affect we don 't track them um, strongly once they 're in about twenty feet that 's called uh, social space. When somebody gets into your social space, your ancient brain begins to track them because you need to know.
0: Is this person a friend or a possible threat? So true. Right. Like Jason Bourne, I'm like I'm like aware of you in my 20.
1: Yeah, 20 I mean, zone. I mean, I don't know if the, I don't know if the, if in if in the core they 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 teach this idea, but but it's and I'd love to talk maybe chat about it a little bit sure. when, I, when I when I finish my riff here. But so the idea is that if you walk into a room, let's let's say you walk into a, a bar, mm-hmm. you know, you can't help yourself. You want to know the people who are within about 20 feet of you. Um, are there any uh, friends here that you can bond with? Are there any potential enemies here that you have to worry about? And your brain is doing this whether you like it or not. It's hardwired. Then you've got personal space, which is inside of four feet. That's cocktail party distance. And once, once you're into that personal space, If you're known and trusted, you're part of the tribe. That's where the most powerful human connections happen. If you're a potential enemy, for example, you get into a crowded elevator, you don't know those people, you always feel uncomfortable. You can't help it because that's your ancient brain kicking in. So here's what this means for fandom. What it means is that you need Uh, to figure out how can you bring like-minded people together in close physical proximity. It can be something as simple as bringing a client to lunch or creating a client conference or figuring out other ways that you can be where fans already exist, which is what Haggerty Insurance does by going to classic car events. They didn't have to put on the event, they just have to show up and be there and they can interact with people who are already fans of these classic cars. Um, so, um, this idea of proximity and extremely important for fandom, but tell me what,
0: what was, what was the idea of proximity with your training back in the day? Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, you definitely relied on the person to your left and your right, and they, they had their zones too. And, and so it's almost like, instead of being a circle around you, it was kind of like a cone facing forward. And you knew that. You, the other people around you had their cone. And so you didn't have to worry about maybe the, the people on those outskirts or even in that 20 as as much as that triangle right in front of you. But yeah, it was in, for, for a lot of times it was even role playing in your mind for like a second. What would it be like to try to fight that person? Yeah. Or yeah. defend yourself from, like, how's this going to go? Ooh, that, that's that's going to be rough.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I mean, tagging I, him for later. <laughs> I, think the, I, mean, I think the other thing I'm curious about this as well is I, it, it, that I understand from your training is that everything they do is to build the tribe. You know, mm. you, you and your fellow um, Marine Corps members are part of a tribe. And that is incredibly powerful. That's the same thing as my daughter's Harry Potter tribe and my Grateful Dead tribe and the tribe of people who love classic cars, because you, if you're part of a tribe, you don't want to let the other members of that tribe down. Right. And, um, and so how can you build that as, uh, into your business so that you're driving a tribe of people?
0: you know it's interesting i was thinking the negative side but you're right the positive side of you know we're all marines and you hear the you know once marine always marine there's no you know former this or you know i was in the army it's like i'm still a marine i still have the bumper sticker but you're right we got very comfortable being within four feet of each other i mean we had bunk beds throughout training and boot camp and all like you're just in bunk beds and then even if you're deployed you're either um hopefully you're intense. if you're lucky and you're you know within very close proximity like sleeping in a tent with someone yeah that's a lot different than you go going on a business trip and you have your own hotel room like you're (laughs) in their space if they snore a friend of mine definitely snored but i I slept well i guess i don't know but like we got very comfortable being okay with that person being and actually you liked it to your point about security it felt good being around all those people because at least the mosquitoes could bite all of you not just (laughs) you (laughs) and so so Clearly,
1: that's incredibly powerful from a neuroscience perspective, and right. I, I and I think that the the Marine Corps understands that and builds that into the training, and um, so we can use these ideas uh, in our business. But some people said to us, David, that may be true, but. I run a global business. Mm. I can't bring everybody together, or I run a virtual business. You know, We right. don't have physical events. Well, there's another concept of neuroscience we learned that was really interesting, and it's the concept of mirror neurons. So mirror neurons are the part of our brain that fire when we see somebody doing something as if we're doing that action ourself. Um And it's a really interesting part of the brain because when I do something, my brain fires. But the neuroscientists have recently learned that when you see me do something, your brain fires too, which I'm going to demonstrate. I've got a lemon on one hand, in one hand, I've got a slice of lemon in the other hand. Okay. So if you're watching it on YouTube, you're seeing this. If you're only listening, imagine I've got a lemon and a slice of lemon. Now, if I take a little bite of this slice of lemon... It's it's incredibly powerful biting into a lemon. My my eyes close. My mouth puckers up. Um, my um, saliva begins to do its thing. I mean. You know tartness on the tongue. It's powerful. Right. My brain is firing, but uh, I bet you, case your brain, your brain is firing too. You're tasting that
0: lemon. Yeah, I and definitely, the, I definitely winced a little bit. I, like yeah. stop looking at Didn't even see. God, don't. I don't want to see it. No, I don't want to see <laughs> that. And so that's the power of mirror neurons.
1: Mm. And so where this becomes really, really interesting for marketers uh, is, um, can you? use video and photographs to show virtually connections with people as if you're in their personal space within four feet. So we're doing that right now because we're on Zoom the camera is within four feet of me. Your camera is in with four, within four feet For of sure. you. And so we're having a, a conversation as if we were sitting across the table from one another, even though we're thousands of miles apart. Right. And our brain tells us through the power of mirror neurons that we're next to each other, even though we're not. I mean, intellectually, you know, it's on, you're on a camera. Right. But your ancient brain kicks in and says, no, this is real. I'm having a, a, personal, rela- a personal conversation with Casey right now. So here, so for this reason, we feel we know movie stars. We feel they're our friends. We feel, you know, mm-hmm. you feel like you have a personal connection to a movie star or a television star. Um, and we can use this in our marketing. We can use this by making way more effective use of video Mm -hmm. and way more effective use of photographs. If you crop within four feet, if you look directly into the camera, um, if you um, are always focused on showcasing your customers, your employees, your partners in this way, it can be really powerful. As well, the humble selfie, which is taken from four, you know, your arm is less than four feet away. That's true. uh, And you're looking at the camera, you know, many times... A selfie or a similar type photograph, looking at the camera, close cropped, is among the most engaged social networking posts there is. Huh. I took a I took a photo yesterday of my daughter and me. Um, we got our copy of the, our copies of Fanocracy actually arrived. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, this is really exciting because. You know, after five years of work, we got a couple of boxes of book hot off the presses. We had to sign a few for some VIPs. So we were were signing books yesterday. um, And I took a picture. Actually, my wife took the picture of the two of us signing books. And I pushed it out on my social networks. I put it out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And it got more engagement than almost any post I've done this entire year. The entire, entire, we're recording this in 2019, all of 2019. And it's because it's two people looking at the camera, close cropped, and people have this feeling that that you're actually having a personal connection through mirror neurons. And that's true of so many people. I spoke with a famous um, novelist um, who had read an early copy of my book and she does novels set in Europe. And her Instagram is primarily focused on pictures of Europe um, during her trips that she goes on to um, uh, uh, learn about setting and talk to people and get dialogue right and stuff like that. Um, She said she had never, ever done a selfie in her whole life. So she did a selfie for the first time a couple weeks ago, put it on her Instagram. It was the most engaged Instagram post she had ever done. Interesting. So um, many people dismiss the selfie as frivolous or for kids, but in fact, it's really powerful.
0: You know, a question that ties into that, I've definitely heard that a lot of the bigger enterprises are trying to reduce the quality of their images and make them less commercial to maybe make more connection. Do you see that happening with and around the selfie because it's it's not the 10-foot shot, it's the four-foot shot. And what about quality? If it looks highly produced, is there less connection because we know it's a little more like ad-like? Well, I'm not sure that the highly produced
1: is actually the distinguishing characteristic that makes it good or bad. Um, because I think there's always room for good quality. Okay. I think I think the difference is that most organizations don't use photos of real people. They don't use photos of their customers and their employees. They use stock photos. Yeah, pulled out of a yeah. catalog. Stock photos are worse than nothing because <laughs> because everybody sees through the fact that that's not really your employees. That's not really your customers and it's insulting to people to use stock photos. So um, I think that's a a real problem to be using stock photos. I mean, stock photos of a building maybe, but not stock photos of of people. That's the first thing. The second thing is that many so-called highly produced, that's sort of the word you use, which is an interesting concept, video is shot in a different format than what we're talking about here right now, Hmm. right? What I recommend, close cropped, four feet or or closer, looking directly at the camera, um, it can still be great quality, but what a lot of videos are that are shot for a corporate world for marketing purposes, they, they, for example, if they do an interview, it's 60 minutes style. They have two cameras looking Mm -hmm. over the shoulder of one person, looking over the shoulder of the other person, and then, um, the people are talking, but they're not looking directly into the camera. They're looking off the camera. That's a really different approach because people don't naturally bond with those people on the camera right. because their mirror neurons mm-hmm. are not saying I'm actually in the personal space of this pe- these people on the camera. They're able to see them in a disjointed way. Right. So I think the difference really isn't the quality so much as is the difference is the way that they're shot.
0: Interesting. I know even sometimes in, you know, in cinema or or with camera work, they say, don't look at the camera. So it's like almost even a different world. You're actually told not to even make eye contact.
1: And I I think that there's a different approach here. I think it's incredibly powerful to look directly at the camera and have a personal relationship with the person who's watching this video.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Well, The question I have for you now is like, who are you? How did you become this sage of the marketing world and in business and author and speaker? By the way, I first saw you at uh, Tony Robbins Business Mastery. Okay, cool. Um, So take us back, like little David Days or... Early, like, did you always know you wanted to write and do these things? And
1: Um, So I was a corporate guy for about 15 years. I worked in in technology businesses. Uh, I worked in Japan for seven years, Hong Kong for two, Boston area for about six. And then the most recent job I was in was at a company called Thomson Reuters, and they fired me back in 2002. And that was a terrible job market yeah um, it was right after nine eleven um, It was early two thousand and two I lost my job, so it was like four or five months after nine eleven Nobody was hiring so I thought I wanted to be another vP of marketing somewhere else, but i couldn 't find another job i didn't want to move my family really? so I started to um, to create um, content and started to initially do some consulting and I realized that um, i had you know I had a lot to say to the world and then um, three times in the last 17 years, I've had this really, really, really strong p- feeling that there's a pattern in the universe that I'm seeing that other people aren't seeing, and that I really need to, to explore this pattern and, um, and and see if I'm really seeing something that's worth sharing with other people. The first time that happened was around 2004, 2005, when I saw a pattern in the universe that marketing on the web is not about advertising, but marketing on the web is about content creation. So, I was the first person on the planet to write a book about the idea that marketing on the web is about content, not about advertising. That book is the new rules of marketing and p r right and um, there may have been other people who had those ideas, but I was the first person to articulate them, articulate them in the form of a book. The second time I saw patterns in the universe, no one else was seeing that I thought were incredibly important was when I noticed about ten years ago that the world of marketing is going real time. And the real time aspects of marketing I was seeing is number one, Google started to index in real time. I don't, not A lot of people don't remember this, but 10 years ago or more, if you went to Google um, uh, it was not indexed in real time. In other words, if I, I I'd a, I've had a blog since 2004, in the early days of my blog, when I sent a blog post, unless you were subscribed to my blog post, you didn't see it because Mm -hmm. the Google didn't index it and it took about two months, one to two months for a blog post to be indexed. So if somebody did a search on the topic of my blog post, they wouldn't see it for two months. And then all of a sudden, Google figured out how to do real time indexing and 10 years ago they changed and they started to do real time indexing around the same time, Twitter got really popular. So, um, I started to see a pattern in the universe, no one else was seeing that marketing is real time. And I wrote a book about that called uh, Real-Time Marketing and PR that became a a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And I also wrote about a concept called newsjacking, which is when you follow the news and create real-time content around it, that became so popular that the word newsjacking is now in the Oxford English Dictionary. Sure. Kind of awesome.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, and, teaching us that at the uh, conference.
1: Yeah, and then the new pattern in the universe we've been talking about for the last half hour that I've seen is that um, this idea of online communications has gone too far in the direction of of being superficial and polarizing and cold and people are hungry for true human connection. And the true human connection is the idea around fandom and what I call a fanocracy, which you can create. You can create that connection. And so I find myself being somebody who has this, un- this unique ability to, maybe there's other people who see what I'm seeing. I'm not saying I'm unique sure. that I'm the only person who sees it, but I'm definitely the only person in these three cases. To see it early enough and write about it that that my ideas are coming out. You know, I, I believe the decade of the 2020s is going to be the decade of going back to human connection as marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, my book is coming out the very first week of January 2020, and I did it on purpose because I believe the 2020s are the decade of human connection. Um, and so, so that's been my real core strength, and then. Um, the books, and I do about 30 or 40 speaking gigs around around the world every year, um, that is another way to get my ideas out there into the world, and, including the Tony Robbins events that you've been to.
0: Right. What was the thought for the even the first book? Like, hadn't done it before? Let me just give this a whirl.
1: I had done a couple of previous books, but they didn't do very well. Okay. They're different, different types of books. Um, um, yeah. I mean, I just had an idea that I had to get out there. You yeah. Know, it, it had to get out there. It was really, really important to get out there. Uh, and I knew that one was different. Um, the other thing as a marketer, I focused really heavily on promoting that book. You and I were talking about this before you turned on the recording. Um, the most authors, um, spend all of their time researching and writing and almost no, none of their time promoting mm-hmm. their book getting it out getting it out into the world um, I'm incredibly focused on figuring out ways to make sure that the ideas that are in a new book get out I mean Joe that's why we're here talking about right, it right 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 uh, and I want your tribe to know about it um, and and a lot of authors don't do that a lot of authors don't spend the effort to get the ideas of their book out there and they I don't know what they figure that if they just put it on Amazon people will find it they don't you have to alert people to it
0: what's the most uh, you know if you that's probably 90 things I know you're busy doing all of them what would you say is like the top three or top one thing to think think about doing when you're trying to get the word out about the book about a book yeah um so I've done a few
1: things it's it's uh, a little too early to tell because it's not actually out as the, as we're recording this about three weeks away um, but the first thing that I focused on is making sure that I had a an interesting title of this book phanocracy it's a made up word um, it's like Democracy, which is the rule of the people or um, or monarchy, which is uh, the rule of the ruling party. This is a fanocracy. It's the rule of the fans. Right. Uh, it's a, I own the URL, mm-hmm. and so I'm kind of doing the same thing I did with the word newsjacking. I'm hoping that the title of the book, which I did not trademark. Um, I'm leaving it completely open for other people to use. I'm hoping that that will um, mm. generate attention, and people will find me from that. The second Smart. thing, I built um, I built a web a, a nice website a couple a couple months ago that's that's now out. Um, the third thing is what we're doing right now. Um, um, by the time the book launches, I will have recorded. About one hundred and ten podcasts <laughs> other people 's podcasts wow uh, and i 'm asking those podcasters when possible if they could release the episode around the launch date of the book, yeah, which I think you're we're willing, doing are yeah. willing to do thank you very much I appreciate that so so i 'm hopeful that a million people will learn about the book through the various podcasts that i 'm a guest on and i've been you know i 've been on some big ones, Tony Robbins podcast, for example. Um, and the other thing is, um, and I never know how these are going to work, but I always try to create something that has potential to go viral. Mm. So what I did in this, for this book, it's about fandom, right? So I live in Boston, um, just outside of Boston. I live 20 miles from the New Hampshire border. The, New Hampshire is the first primary state.
0: I'm in New Hampshire.
1: Oh, are you in New Hampshire?
0: Yeah, right in Nashua. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay, so I've been to Nashville probably seven times in the last six months. Yeah. Um, I go to the presidential candidate events, and I've asked – I've been to 22 candidate events. Wow. Uh, and I've, a- I've been able to ask 16 presidential candidates what they're a fan of, and I have them all on video. Huh. And I have wow. a um, – yeah and I have a um a really hot New York video company that does TV commercials cutting it into probably be about 6 to 7 minute um video that um uses humor and then showcases what these different candidates said when I when I got up at a town hall event and said um, outside of your work and your family, what are you a fan of? And I've asked that of of Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Morton and Pete Buttigieg and Cory Booker and, um, you know, all the way down, down the line. I even wow. went to a Donald Trump rally, but he didn't take questions. Um, <laughs> so is it, is it, it's been an interesting exercise. And I don't know what's going to happen with that video, but I always try to figure out if there's something I can do that has potential to go viral you know you never know it's you know it's really hard to make something go viral but right.
0: i always try to have something that has the potential to go viral i think if it's you know if it's interesting it the make just sort of makes itself, and there's less try, right? It's just, it yeah. just, it just does. You just set it up, you, you launched it, and it took off. So and we'll last... see, and
1: we'll see what happens with this one. I mean, it's a lot of yeah. work, you know. I went twenty two times up to New Hampshire. I'm twenty miles from you, um, about. 30 miles i think to nashua well you know um, it's tax free up here come on up the, here
0: and get your uh, christmas know,
1: presents right? well and i we, we stop at the um at the at the liquor store new hampshire liquor, state liquor store yep. every time we come up but um um it's hard work because 22 times driving it, it takes almost a day to drive up wait in line the event itself is an hour uh, my wife is my camera person uh, and we take B-roll, you know, video, and we just just an iPhones. Right. You know, we don't use professional equipment. Um, but we've ended up with some amazing footage of these different candidates telling us.
0: I bet. Well, next time you're up here, we'll get some lunch. Just Let's hit me it. up. All right. uh, last question for you, because I know we got to get you out of here. Um, if I could, you know, give you a time machine, you can get back in that time machine and go back to the very beginning of your career. Let's say you just got out of college, you know, for economics. And it's like, what would you tell yourself? If you could tell yourself anything, what kind of advice would you give yourself at the very uh, beginning of all of this?
1: I, th- I think um, I would say um, enjoy yourself, have fun, choose a career where you can um, be intellectually stimulated and have a lot of fun. And that's actually what I did. Um, uh, but it took me a few years to get there. Got but once I got there um, and really was focused on the fun aspects, then that my, that's
0: when my career took off, interestingly. Amazing. Amazing. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on here. Throw out some links for us. Where do we get fanocracy? Yeah, the you know, links for your site, maybe people sure. sign up and register. So the book is out
1: both in print, hardcover, as well as um, the various electronic formats like Kindle. And my daughter and I read the audio audiobook. Oh, version. awesome. Yeah, and all of those are coming out the same day on January 7th. And then um, fanocracy, www.fanocracy.com. You'll find all sorts of information there if you want to check it out. On um, the social networks, I'm DM Scott. DMSCOTT. And uh, I'm the only David Meerman Scott in the entire world. So if you Google my name, you'll find me. Amazing.
0: Amazing. Thanks again yeah, for being course. here. For everyone listening, if you learned something, share this with someone else. I know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here. Nice. Uh, be a thought leader to someone else. David, thank you again for being on here. Best book launch ever of all <laughs> of your books.
1: Thanks, Casey. I appreciate that. All right. Take care. I'm uh, yeah.